The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 74.5. These are the episodes where we get into all the nitty-gritty details we didn't have time for on the main episode. And what a joyful reunion it was. Great to have Michael with us. And, man, just the fun. Uh, You know, there's just something about that chemistry when you're with your co-host. And, of course, we enjoy all the guests that we have. But uh, none can replace the man himself, Michael Canetti. Uh, Speaking of which, he will be joining us for the this mini episode as well so look forward to that i, I want to mention something too this is just random uh, a little behind the scenes for you who, who uh, get in on the mini episodes you know when you want to get something done a lot of people are like well i wait until my kids go to bed and then i gotta do this thing late at night whatever the project is whether it's a hobby video gaming whatever it is for me and the podcast especially these mini episodes i am a morning guy so a lot of people are not morning people my wife especially not a morning person but like as soon as I wake up I'm ready to take on the day and at night I'm just wasted like I'm not a night person in any way so for me when I'm recording these mini episodes I'm literally waking up as early as I can hopefully the kids are not awake if they are my kids are kind of in the zone of they just want to watch some YouTube or play some video games first thing when they wake up so I'll just run down to my office and you know knock out a mini episode or record a few inserts for the main episodes things like that so if you ever wonder what is going on What's the setup? Adam is, you know, in his pajamas recording these mini episodes. It very much is, you know, my first excitement of the day, and I certainly do enjoy it. So, eh, just a little tidbit for you there. But we have a lot to get into, and let's start out with our favorite Caps Kooky Contests. All right, this first one here, Marvel Comics Presents, Create Alpha Flight's ID card. Says here, this summer, Marvel Comics relaunched Alpha Flight, the comic book about Canada's premier group of superheroes. The only problem is they're just getting started and need a little help from the wizard audience. Care to help out? Read on. To win, you gotta design a full-color ID card that includes the following information. A close-up image and superhero codename to one of Alpha Flight's team members. They'd be Vindicator, Sasquatch, Puck, Jeffrey, Murmur, Radius, Flex, and Guardian, a 10-digit ID number, the new Alpha Flight logo, and a line that reads, Level 7 Clearance. Oh, and don't use glitter, aluminum foil, or any reflective crap. Grand prize? One lucky reader will have his winning ID card design drawn into a future issue of Alpha Flight. Plus, he'll win an original page of Scott Clark artwork and a signed copy of Alpha Flight Number 1 autographed by Steven Siegel and artist Scott Clark. Nice! Second prize? 20 second prize readers will receive a copy of Alpha Flight Number 1 signed by Steven Siegel and Scott Clark. Skippy for any comic collection. This contest is sponsored by Marvel Comics, the Alpha and Omega of Canadian superheroes. Hero Comics. Hmm, I wonder how the folks that created Captain Canuck feel about that. Anyway, let's get into the Lawyers Take Flight. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Marvel Comics, their immediate families, and Jerry Jackson. Oh, we haven't forgotten the crap you pulled back in the original Alpha Flight number 12, Dillweed. <laughs> 
Wow. So if you're a hardcore Alpha Flight fan, you know this Jerry Jackson character. Maybe our past guest, Michael May, remembers him. He, he was a big Alpha Flight fan. Check this one out. The original grand prize was Date with North Star, but Marvel lawyers didn't care too much for that. No cash equivalent or substitute prizes will be offered. Beta, Gamma, Epsilon. Prizes are awarded in the names of the contest winners that are non-transferable. Hey Marvel, quick top 10 list of old Alpha Flight characters to avoid. Gilded Lily, Pink Pearl, Dream Team, Deadly Earnest, Smart Alec, Sasquatch as a Chick, Marina, Scramble, Purple Girl, and Flashback. Wow, so I mean, they like crammed a lot in here. I don't know if they were making up for lost time. You know, we've complained often that there were not jokes in the Marvel-sponsored contests, and here they're getting geared up uh, for a special collaboration with Marvel in issue 75, so maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know, but most of that was okay. The North Star comment. Not so much. It's just interesting to note that Wizard was really into these ID card things, you know, because they had this contest here to create an ID card, but then they had the JLA membership card they gave away, and then eventually coming up in issue 76, there's the Avengers membership card. So this is something they just thought was like the coolest idea, so <laughs> worth bringing up, I thought. All right, let's get into our next contest here. David Mack presents the Kabuki Art School. Hey, Wizardites, just in case you haven't heard the buzz, David Max Kabuki has made the jump to image. But there's just one little problem, amigos. The conundrum in a nutshell. Dave's a perfectionist. No matter how beautiful his artwork, he always thinks it could be better. See? Look. Sad, disappointed Dave. And so there's a picture of David Mack just with a very serious face that says Sad Dave underneath it. Then right next to him, there's Happy Dave, and he's smiling. So to brighten Dave's mood, he'd like you to help out with his art chores. Yep, you heard us correctly. Help Dave. Dave out. See that big old image of Dave's first Image Comics Kabuki cover to the left? Well, we want you to cut it out and do something artistic with it. Add family photos to it, draw it a Christmas tree and Santa, make it into a collage. We don't care. Just help Dave out by being artistic. That way, he'll be a happy, smiley Dave. See, look, happy, smiley Dave. The most original and creative entries will win these fantastic Kabuki prizes. Grand prize. One lucky grand prize winner will receive an original piece of artwork signed by David Mack, a complete set of Kabuki comics signed by Mack, and a nifty Dinsky Kabuki t-shirt. First prize, one winner will receive a complete set of Kabuki comic books signed by Mac and a super duper Kabuki t-shirt. Second prize, 100 people it says. Wait, it says about 100 in the parentheses, but then it says 10 second prize winners will receive a handy dandy Kabuki t-shirt. So I think uh, there was a little bit of a typo there. I wonder if anybody called them out on that. Hey, I didn't get my Kabuki t-shirt. I should be one of the 100. So it says, this month's contest is sponsored by David Mack, champion of justice and all around good guy. Aw, you like to hear it. Okay, let's see what it says here in our legal stuff. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Image Comics, their immediate families, and, uh, well, that's it. Everybody else can enter. <laughs> okay, so we're just being clear about that. Let's see here. Uh, all entries become property of Wizard Press and none will be returned. Wookie is pretty much the only thing that rhymes with Kabuki. Uh, Wizard, Jim McLaughlin, whoever is writing these jokes, Kabuki and Cookie... 
the syllables are not correct there. They don't line up. I mean, if you want something that rhymes with Kabuki, you have to look no farther than Super Mario Brothers 3, the Tanuki suit? Come on, guys. I mean, you, you had to have been playing that around the office. Kabuki Tanuki. It's right there. Speaking of Kabuki, though, I just got to mention this. So back in the day, my best friend Jeff had this Ric Flair DVD set. You know, it was like the best of Ric Flair. And on one of those, there was this time that Harley Race, you know, who was a, an old school tough guy wrestler with a mustache, and curly mop top. At one time, he was in a feud with Ric Flair and he put out a hit on Ric Flair and he had this briefcase full of money and he's, anybody who can put Ric Flair in the hospital will get this money. And so he starts calling out all these names, like a list of people he thinks would be right for the job. And then at one moment, he just like blanks for a second. He goes, Kabuki! <laughs> so whenever I hear the name Kabuki, I just hear Harley race in my head going, Kabuki! <laughs> also, I will say I've read this uh, Kabuki comic, actually. this I didn't realize it was the first image run of, of comics uh, by David Mack, but uh, it's actually pretty good. I mean, it's another one of those things I feel like if you like the Dave McKeon artwork from the Sandman books, it's very much in that vein where it is not traditional panels in any way. You know, this is definitely a book where it's just like artistic pages, like each one could be its own, you know, piece of art in a gallery. And then like the words are just mixed around in weird angles and different places kind of to represent the mental state of the character. So just, you know, if you're curious about Kabuki, just know what you're getting into. Kabuki! Let's get into our last contest here. Harris Comics presents the Appear with Panther contest. Hey, did you ever want to appear in a comic book? Well, this is your chance to be a star. Harris Comics and artist Mark Texera want to put you, yes you, inside the pages of a future issue of Panther. Just imagine your likeness painted into a piece of artwork, eternally preserved for future generations of comic fans to enjoy, just like the Mona Lisa. Uh, for those who don't remember, Panther was kind of a spinoff. Uh, she's like the Wolverine of Vampirella comics, right? Because, I, you know, she's not a vampire. She's panther-based, uh, but she's still got the fangs. She's still got the eyes. She's got claws. And so here's what it says. What to do? It's as easy as cake. Simply fill out the entry form below and mail it in. Winners are chosen randomly, so each one of you has an equal chance of shining in the spotlight. So go break a leg. Wow. These ones where you could just send in that entry form amazes me. You know, it's just like you're going to be put into a comic book and it'll just be like, eh, whoever wins. Now it says one grand prize winner will earn himself an original page of painted artwork from Panther number one, an autographed copy of Panther number one signed by Mark Texera, and a Panther promo trading card signed by Texera. Plus, that grand prize winner will also have his or her likeness painted into a future issue of Panther. Talk about amazing prizes. If you're deep into the Panther collecting, we gotta know which issue that was because, you know, we gotta add it to the archives here of comics related to Wizard Magazine contests. Alright, first prize 25 readers will each get one copy of Panther autographed by Texera and one Panther promo card autographed by Texera. Second prize, 50 readers will each get one Panther promo card signed by Texera. I wonder if any of those are floating around on eBay right now. You might have to look into that just out of curiosity. All right, let's get into our legal text here says this month's contest is sponsored by Harris Comics, publishers of spooky hot babes. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Harris Comics, their immediate families, and techs. That guy's trouble. <laughs> 
<laughs> Mark could not enter his own contest, but surely he drew himself into his comic at some point, no? Looking in the mirror, at least, for some type of expression to put on a character. This next one, though. No mechanical reproductions of completed forms are accepted, but you can photocopy the entry form before filling it out if you don't want to mess up your magazine. Science fact. If you eat a lot of meat and eggs, your farts will seriously stink. Hey, just try to help out, right? <laughs> uh, last one here, though, says... Wizard Press is not responsible for lost, late, misdirected, or mutilated entries, or who would win this fight. Plain old Pink Panther or Pantha with her claws removed? So that's interesting. They really are adding, like, a ton of jokes now. I guess maybe they knew that the readers were catching on, so they decided to put more and more in there? Very possible. I just want to check out here now before we leave. I want to see if there's any, uh results from past contests that are of interest you know the only one that i'm seeing here is the painkiller jane contest if you'll recall the idea here was that you could actually become one of the 22 brides so they wanted a female reader or just someone looking to get a modeling career started maybe and send that in and we did check with jimmy palmiotti on social media and he did say yeah we did draw her into a few of these issues uh and so this was tony lee De Dowell of Custer, Kentucky is the one who won the contest. So I don't know if they gave her a, a name or if she was just Tony in the comic, but that would be really interesting. The other one I'll just say is there was a Gunsmith Cats contest where you were supposed to dress up as one of the characters. And it says here that the winner is Jose L. Santa Maria of Sockville, Wisconsin. But the picture that they're showing is obviously a woman and she's got, you know, a toy <laughs> assault rifle in her hand and she's got got all this camo. She's obviously supposed to be one of the characters that I just don't recognize. She's obviously standing in front of a trailer as well, a trailer home. So I don't know, maybe it was Jose's trailer, so he won the contest, not her. <laughs> anyway, that does it for Cap's Kooky Contest. And remember I mentioned Michael was around here? Well, hey, we're going to review some comics in Robin's Reading Rainbow. And uh, here we are, back from podcast death. <laughs> He's been gone for so long, and he has resurrected himself. And back on the mic, it's Michael Canetti. Adam, king of the transition, I'll tell you what, he's he's <laughs> he's right in there with the zingers all the time. It's been a crazy couple of weeks, and you know, a lot going on. And Adam's been begging me to resurrect this particular. Uh, graphic novel that he is so passionate about that I have never read. And I read the first five issues in about a day and a half and kind of cranked through them pretty well. And I have, I have some interesting thoughts, but I'll let you kick it off before we get too deep into it. Yeah, so as Michael said, and if you haven't picked up already uh, from the show art and the hints we've been dropping here, Resurrection Man from DC Comics is a book that launched in 1997. This was written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, uh, who have been a pair that have done a lot of things together. You've probably seen it over the years. Most importantly right now, they were the ones who wrote the version of the Guardians of the Galaxy that the movies were based on, essentially. Like, they gave 
gave it kind of that hip comedic right. edge in a big way. But also the art in here is by Jackson Geis slash Butch Geis. He kind of goes uh, by different names at different points in his career. But this is a series, yeah, that I, I have loved. I picked it up off the shelf when it was new. And a Wizard, actually, in the uh, issues we've been covering recently, has mentioned it. They had a contest based on Resurrection Man. It made it onto the top 10 list. So this is a book that was getting some buzz in its day. And yes, I've been asking Michael, hey, can you read this? Can you check this out? I want to see what you think, because I have a feeling, even though it's not well known, you know, it's one of those sleeper books that was around for a while, but not a lot of people were reading, think it might be better than most people would give it credit for. So let's get into it here, Michael. First impressions as you're opening up that initial debut of Resurrection Man. So my first thought right out of the gate was I was very surprised that this is not a Vertigo title. Yes, it fits the Vertigo vibe 100%, and right. yet it's in main continuity for DC. Which is, which is so surprising. Like, they could go, and, and they kind of push the envelope for what a DC title would be. But I'm like, if they had one more panel of something a little bit more this would be a vertigo title all the way and you know they could use language that they want to seem like they want to use in this book but they just don't because it's a dc title and not a vertigo title i find that so interesting like does it does it eventually when they relaunch it years later does it does it go to vertigo do you know or no i mean it... it's in the main continuity because it's part of the new 52 so so they, when they did it again, yeah, it's it's weird how they just really want to keep it in that continuity that everybody's so familiar with. And I think it had something to do with the fact that Hitman was kind of pushing that edge too. And they left him to be able to interact and even try to audition, you know, to be a part of the JLA at one point, you know? So it's like, I think they were just feeling a little more loose back then. And they're just like, hey, let's get these edgy characters. Let's mix them up. Let's see what people think as we put it out there. And so just that the main premise uh, will we'll introduce that here for people who don't know is there is a guy who wakes up he looks homeless and he's you know does looks like he's been living hard for a while and he says he can't remember who he is and yet all of a sudden he's displaying powers so in this case the first thing he comes up with is kind of this this rush of air force power like that he can just kind of move things but he is just trying to figure out who he is and ultimately like when he dies at the end of the issue he comes back and now he has a new power and so that's just like kind of subtly even hidden to that in the first issue but what did you think about this introduction to this character we come to know as mitch shelley so i i like the mystery element of who his identity is in the first couple of issues uh i also find it very interesting how they early on sort of tease the other characters like his essentially there's a character in the story that's sort of like his opposite like if you think of it's his mr you know, glass Yes, yeah. exactly. It's like unbreakable. Like he's David Dunn and this other guy is Mr. Glass. Uh, there's these other like two women that are sort of like trying to figure out where he is. And we still even by the end of episode five, don't really know much about them. And he just seems like a man out of time in a way. Like he doesn't know where or when he is. I find that very interesting. I also find the art to be very interesting. At times, it feels almost like Gibbons Watchmen style. And then there's like this like black and white sort of like penciling with no color. Uh, it, it, it's got this unique sort of blend. It doesn't feel like a traditional 90s crazy big splash page sort of 
comic it's it takes its time with things which i find very interesting as well yeah it's, and, it's something where you know the the jackson geist artwork in this it's very sketchy like it, it doesn't have heavy ink lines on it yes. at all but when you think about it thematically like it really fits the character because nothing is for certain in his mind nothing yeah. is defined he doesn't know what's going on and so as a result you know the art kind of reflects that in a big way and like you said so he is kind of at the center of something he doesn't understand there's these two women they eventually are revealed to be called the body doubles and they are these like bounty hunters essentially that are sent by this lab that has some interest in him and so they are trying to track him down but in the meantime he like befriends this librarian who helps him find out a little bit more about where he came from and he sees like oh i'm from this town called viceroy i was a lawyer i had a wife i died in an explosion but obviously i'm not dead like so you start getting like you said just these pieces sprinkled in and then a lot of it is just visual they do these big like things where behind him he has these like literal shards of memory that are coming back to him you know what it sort of reminds me of even though this came before that you ever see the movie memento oh yeah it feels like like fragments of a mind like you would see in memento not told backwards like memento but sort of just like he's doesn't like he has these bits and pieces and glimmers of stuff and it takes a few issues for him to start like actually figuring out who he is and where it sort of goes to and what i also find very interesting in this first issue is that he just he sort of like goes through it like wrong place wrong time kind of guy and and you're not exactly sure what his deal is and why he has these powers the one question that I have, and I don't fully understand it after five issues is, so as he dies, he gets a different power. So yes. like he starts off with the wind power, then he dies and it's another power and then so on and so forth. And, you know, in one episode, one issue, he dies like a dozen times and yeah. he keeps jumping from power <laughs> to power to power. But what I find so confusing is how does he know how to use them with such pinpoint accuracy and efficiency if he just wakes up and he has this new ability yeah it is kind of like an instinct thing right it's like oh okay what can i do now and it usually it comes like he gets scared or something happens and it just pops out of him yeah like first it's a you know first we said it's that force thing he uses to stop a semi truck from hitting a roadside diner and he saves all these people but he dies in a fire then he wakes up and he has fire powers he could actually like push fire back then he dies he gets this like empathic ability where he could absorb all the emotions from people mm -hmm. around him and shoot it out as some sort of force all these different things and yeah I, I think it's just like it's it's just that idea of okay this thing is happening to me is that how it works well i need to figure it out quick because i gotta save these people and so yeah they move past that pretty quickly where it's not like he has time to rehearse or practice what he would do with this new power and so yeah that that's definitely something you just kind of take with it you're like this is the premise he's always gonna have a new power that's exciting because you don't know what it's gonna be or how it's gonna manifest and sometimes like in the issue you said where he goes back to viceroy where he's from he confronts his wife and his business partner best friend who are now a couple but he's still kind of out of it the whole time and they go in the other room and they're freaking out because like we killed him how yeah. is he still alive so now they're like well we're just gonna have to kill him again yeah. and so they poison him he comes back with these weird like claws some type of monster that like almost like a vampire in a way at one yeah point. yeah 
then he gets killed again and there's this cop named Keech who was in on the you know the assassination of Mitch Shelley as well so he's getting involved so he has to keep shooting him and killing him so I mean it's just it's funny to see that in a way just like you don't expect that to happen and I will say Michael later on in the series a lot of people cite their favorite issues there's a two issue arc with Hitman where he Mm -hmm. actually comes in and he has a hit where he's supposed to kill Mitch Shelley but he can't right (laughs) because he keeps coming back so then they team up and find out the guy who put the hit on him is the real villain but Hitman has to keep shooting him in order to find a power that makes sense for the mission they're going to go on. It's like, you got to have something useful and he keeps killing him. So it's, it's pretty hilarious from that perspective. But yeah, but each time, yeah, it's just kind of like, okay, I can do this now, I'm doing it. And then he, he jumps in after it. So like the first issue sort of like just kind of gives us this like lost man lost sort of issue. But now going back to what I mentioned about this being a DC title, issue two, he's... I assume it feels like New York City or something like that, some sort of city where the JLA shows up and it's electric blue Superman and the whole, and he's just sort of there. And I thought that was kind of cool. Like, okay, he exists in this universe. He's like an unsung hero, if you will. He's sort of just, you know, there and observing this other world thing happening in his life, which is kind of cool. It's a decent issue. I don't think it's the strongest of the first five, believe it or not. I think the third issue where he goes back to his hometown, he finds his wife, that is probably the strongest issue of all of them. It's the most interesting. A lot happens in that particular issue. It, it's very, very exciting. And the cover art on that one's really, really nice. It's it's He meets the insurance lady who's sort of like... Yeah, Kim you know, Rebecca. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a very interesting particular issue. We learn a lot about the the soda cola and like how that's like a big <laughs> thing in this town. Pretty hilarious. I know so, when I went to theaters and saw Super Pets and there mm-hmm. in the background there was a soda cola sign. It just made me think of Resurrection Man. I mean, I know it's all over the DC universe, but for me, it's always Resurrection Man. That's hilarious. Especially because his buddy, when he shows up at the house, apparently they're getting a little kinky and he's wearing a soda yeah, the soda man pants. suit. Yeah, suit, which is hilarious. Oh. Yeah, they, 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 his ex-wife and, and his best friend do a lot of role playing in this thing. Like, there's another <laughs> issue where she's wearing sort of like a geisha outfit or some sort of mask of some sort and i don't know it's interesting well and what's interesting is you know and wizard points this out and obviously what we're talking about is true this is unlike anything else that was like being put out by dc or any other company at the time it was just like it's so its own thing and i think that's what stood out to me because it is very episodic and in fact it is almost in some cases like an anthology like the reason i wanted you to read these first five issues is that kind of establishes like where he's at where he came from as far as he knows mm-hmm. but then a lot of times just like that second issue with the jla guest starring and then hitman guest starring and then batman guest starring like a lot of it I, they i don't know if it was because they were trying to get more eyes on the book or they just thought it was a fun character who could interact with everybody but it just sometimes it loses the thread like oh now there's a tie-in to the genesis cr- crossover yeah. event that's happening and you're just like okay well we want to get back to his story though and so that kind of interrupts the flow here yeah. and there where, where you're just like he's in the background of a lot of stories sometimes he's like i'm you know this guy who's gonna help but really it's about these people like a you know a tales from the crypt type story like it would almost be 
fine if like we see like in a news ticker like a new like he's like of the justice leagues do like this should be sort of its own thing almost like like how peacemaker the show was like its own thing the superheroes are off doing whatever they do this is what i do here and sort of like separate from everything else i do find the character of hooker like at the end i think issue four is yeah. where they meet each other and they make physical contact and like blow up the girl's you know trailer park or whatever and that's what jogs all of his memories and a lot of these issues what's is sort of interesting is you think it's going to end like there's like a big climactic moment and then there's still a few more pages sort of after it and i was sort of like wow they they just didn't like okay moving on now we got to wait for the teaser for the next issue they sort of like fill in some of the gaps but still leave you a teaser at the end, which i really appreciated and consistently the art is pretty solid i think there's only maybe a couple of panels here and there that was like they kind of you know phone that one in but mostly it's pretty consistent throughout and it should be mentioned the hooker character like we said he's the yin to mitch's yang you know he's kind of similar but what he explains is the first glimpse we get of him he's killing a guy at a bathroom stall but he's having this like conversation with him like he's still alive and joking around and he's definitely like a little twisted in his brain and he looks that way he's got like painted red fingernails and and he wants to eat mitch's heart because he says, I can't die either, except that I don't come back with a spiffy new power. I just can't die. So like if my neck gets broken, my head just hangs bad. If I break my leg, I have to limp with that leg, but I'm not dead. I don't heal. And so he's like, if I eat your heart, Mitch Shelley, then I will have your power. There's no scientific reasoning behind that. There's a, That's just his belief. And that is his pursuit is trying to find him. So that's like, that's why he's like this, this creature who's you know in pursuit and just sprinkled in throughout till they meet up so, like you said did you ever watch the show heroes when it was on the first season yeah right so specifically the first season there's the you know character of peter petrelli and then there's the character of siler and i almost feel like that they stole this idea from <laughs> this book so peter petrelli when he's around somebody absorbs their abilities and has different powers and so on and so forth only when he's around somebody where the siler character like cuts open their brains and eats pieces of it and then absorbs multiple powers. And it's very, very similar. And I'm like, did they just steal that from this comic? I bet you they did. Because <laughs> like when they come too close to each other, things happen. And and the same thing happens in this book, which I find very interesting. And I was like, that seems like they just copied this comic. The thing that I want to talk about is like as we're learning about Mitch, we're also learning about his backstory. We learned that he was a lawyer, but he was like kind of a crooked lawyer working for the mob and so on and so forth. He was kind of not not the greatest guy. And he has a really bad relationship with his father, who's also some sort of like, you know, very highfalutin lawyer in this particular town. And his father thinks that he's sort of a deadbeat and he's, a, you know, he's not a good kid. And he, as a child, treats him poorly. We never meet the dad, but we sort of hear it through Mitch's internal monologue and narration. And they do a good job of showcasing it. And there's a particular issue in, in issue five on like page three or so, three or four, where they show like him in the courtroom as a man. And it almost feels like like Gregory Peck is almost like they almost like they modeled it after that kind of look and how he interacts with his father and how his father doesn't respect what he does in the law. And the whole reason why they kill him is because he, he doesn't want to do this corrupt law anymore and he wants to get out of it. And they feel like this guy knows too much and they try to kill him, essentially. 
what they don't know is they find out or like he reveals that I guess he had some three and a half inch floppy disks that he saved somewhere with some sort of evidence. He doesn't even know what's on there, but he has these disks and now they want to get him for the disks, which I find very interesting, too. Yeah, there's just there's so many people in pursuit of this guy who he doesn't know why. So that that's a fun angle of it. And so as the series goes on, there's a lot of I don't know if you want to call it retconning of his origin, but so much is revealed. You're like, oh, I didn't think it was that. Oh, I didn't think it was that, you know, because Hooker's whole thing, you know, is that he is saying, you know, you got the power the way I want it. And yes. then ultimately it's revealed like. Why was Mitch, because I'll just, this is the one spoiler I'll give you. They're nanites, they're tektites, yeah, I think okay. they call them, in his blood that rebuild him and give him the new power each time. And so the idea is that Hooker tried to do that too, but he was not compatible with them. And they try, after Mitch was, you know, supposedly blown up in that building, he just had amnesia and he was homeless. And they were grabbing all these homeless people and doing experiments on them. And he was the only one who was survived. Oh. And so, but there's a reason for that because ultimately you kind of find out, well, he actually is immortal. And he actually is like, he's got a whole history from like way, way back when like the Phantom Stranger comes in. He's like, I've known you forever. I haven't heard from you for 30 years. Like, I'm only going to let, you know, your attitude slide because essentially we have a history. You don't remember what you are yet, you know? And so there's a lot of things that eventually it comes out that he, his nemesis is going to be Vandal Savage because of oh. course a caveman who's lived throughout all of human history because he touched a meteorite and he became immortal fight against the guy who can't die. Mm -hmm. Like there's all this cool stuff that, that comes out. The only thing I will say overall is for me, like, I've said it many times in our reviews, a comic appeals to me most with its humor and its dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a hundred percent the strength of this series as it goes on. Like you never get to know Mitch Shelley is a character. He's just like generic good guy and he's mm -hmm. going to use his powers to do good. I don't know how he feels about a cup of coffee. I don't know his favorite movie. I don't know what kind of women he's into, even though he and like Kim Rebecca have a little relationship at some point. So it's like that is a failing of it, but it's it's totally plot driven for me. It's kind of like lost. It's like I'm always waiting. What's the next thing you're going to reveal? What's the, you know, the secret that has to be uncovered? And what, what and obviously what is his next power going to be? How are you going to be creating? Right. So this is like the rare exception for me where it's just like, okay, you know, the gimmick is there and I'm going to follow it straight through. So yeah, that, that's the other thing is I could not define Mitch Shelley as a character mm -hmm. for you only based on his powers. That's the only thing I could tell you. I do say at least for the first five issues or so, the characters, though are interesting, at times feel a little one dimensional. Like they're just the bad guy, like the bad guy and whatever. Uh, I do find actually the hooker character to be the most interesting. Yes. And in a way, like when, when he says that line about like, you got all the good stuff and I got all the bad stuff. My first thought was like Danny DeVito from twins. <laughs> and, That's it. Perfect. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that about the humor. There's only like glimpses of humor. It's, it's more sort of like, it takes itself seriously in a way. Yeah, and it's it got a noir like, vibe to it. In yes. A lot it, it is kind of a noir sort of like mystery detective sort of vibe. And yeah. listen, I did enjoy it. And I kind of skimmed ahead to issue six, which goes like way off the rails. First couple of pages, you're like, whoa. Yeah, that's the Genesis tie-in where you're just like, what is what is happening here? And like eventually, like I say, like it, some of the powers don't 
match up like to what when you find out it's like tectites and stuff because like at one point it seems supernatural because he becomes a living shadow and so he can't he's trying to die but he can't die because he's just a shadow and all this stuff and they and his friends have to figure out how to kill him like another time like they, they get creative with it like where he is in a coma so he didn't die all the way. And so they they keep trying to get him off life support, but the hospital won't let him in, you know, because he's stuck in this limbo state where he's fighting these interdimensional demons because he can't die and he needs to die to actually live. Like, so it's, it gets really, really creative throughout, but it's just like some of it, you're just like, okay, but is this sci-fi or is this supernatural? When they relaunch in the new 52, it's all supernatural, which okay. is why I don't like it. I like the sci-fi element, but the fact that he was already immortal, the tech types just add to that ability. Ability mm -hmm. that he can't die but they'll give him a power in addition to so all that is very very fun i will say what's kind of interesting about this particular book this kind of story is like ripe for a like a streaming show oh, yeah. you can tell like a very you know interesting sort of story and have some fun with it that doesn't need to be like overly what you know crazy and set like a detective story with superpowers and it's like ripe for a netflix or hbo max or whatever max is becoming and what have you and i could see that totally like it's an interesting character and it's got a very diverse cast of characters in the show like there there's very wide ranging ethnicities, cultures, and so on and so forth. You know, th there's strong female characters in it as well. So there's a lot of different elements that could make this prime for a TV show these days. Yeah, the only thing I'll say is the similar story that I saw recently that I did not like, so they'd have to figure out how to give it, it a good personality, is Captain Marvel. I mm -hmm. don't like that story because you can never connect with her character because she doesn't know who she is mm -hmm. she doesn't know if she was a good person everybody's telling her but like she never really you know is able to connect with who she was i feel like right. even by the end she by the end she's just like i'm omnipotent superhero now <laughs> and every appearance after that in the avengers movies hey i'm just here to kick butt and so like to me like you really have to when you have an amnesiac character they have to develop a personality in the meantime right like whether Memento. or not it's their original personality yeah they can't just be lost in who am i all the time tell exactly. me who i am it's like ah, that gets boring so yeah you definitely have to make him a little quirky in fact i always thought a fun twist on it if i was rebooting the comic would be that not only does it come back with a new power but he comes back with a new personality like doctor who where oh. he, has, he has a little bit something else going on each time so i just think that'd be fun because the people that have to that he's like relying on you know and the people that are in his sphere might be like whoa okay what just changed here and <laughs> play for comedy played for drama it could be great so that's funny all right well thank you so much for joining me michael and uh, hey let's get on to the rest of the episode thanks well that was fun for us but you know wizard was having some fun reviewing the comics of the day as well so let's get started with the skinny
So the first book they're reviewing is Deadpool. They ask, can a killer be a nice guy? And this is the Joe Kelly, Ed McGinnis run. They say, what you need to know? A tortured product of the Weapon X program, Wade Wilson is imbued with an artificial healing factor, which he uses to his advantage as a mercenary. The good. There's a very lighthearted tone to this book from the front cover to the splash pages to the titles. Issue number one is titled, hey, it's Deadpool. This comic just screams fun. Deadpool's wisecracking practical joke attitude further fuels the fun fire. Oh, try saying that ten times fast. His constant pop culture references everything from Sidney Crawford to Speed keep the book fresh and hip. The manga-esque cartoony style fits the lighthearted tone quite well, reminding you this book never takes itself too seriously. Even with his mask on, you can tell when Deadpool's cracking a smirk or going even further off the deep end. The first two pages of every issue tell you about the current characters you need to know, as well as recapping what's been happening in recent issues, making it reader-friendly. Ooh, if that's in there, then you know Wizard given this an extra point. And it's done in such an entertaining way each issue that it stays fresh. In issue number four, the splash page actually had the characters talking to the readers, explaining who they are before jumping into the story. The bad. While this book is chock full of fun, unfortunately it's very hard to accept the character of Deadpool. He's a ruthless killer for hire who's constantly trying to endear himself to the readers by cracking jokes. So when readers learn of Deadpool's tragic past, it's difficult to sympathize with him because of his happy-go-lucky attitude. If played straight like the Punisher, it'd be much easier to relate to him. Now that's an interesting take. I mean, I don't think people wanted serious Deadpool, they wanted fun Deadpool. That was his gimmick, obviously. There were enough anti-heroes out there that would just serious people kill it. In fact, I felt like there had been a lot of fallout from the early 90s in the image style books that that wouldn't have appealed to anyone. So, hmm, let's continue on here. Also, the supporting characters are never given any backstory. An old blind woman named Blind Alfred is Deadpool's roommate prisoner, but it's never ever explained what she's doing there, or why she's his prisoner, and why she named Alfred. With no depth, the supporting character cast doesn't add anything to the series. The plots themselves are a bit simplistic, never really challenging the readers or Deadpool himself. And with obscure villains like the Vamp and the Taskmaster, the creators really need to do their homework. The Taskmaster, normally a wisecracking ass whooping villain, spoke in stilted and scholarly dialogue. The Buzz. Joe Kelly is quickly gaining a name for himself with his work on Daredevil, particularly with the recent announcement that he'll be taking over X-Men. Throw in the fact that readers really dig Deadpool and you've got a winner. The skinny? While everything about this book exudes fun, it's just too hard to accept Deadpool as the protagonist. Having cold-blooded killer portrayed in a light way as the main character is just a bit too hard to swallow. The verdict? A three. So-so. Man, I feel like Wizard was way off on this one. In fact, it's strange because it seems right up their alley, right? All the jokes, the type of jokes Deadpool's making or the type of jokes they're making in the magazine. Is there a little bit of jealousy here? In fact, Buddy Scalera, who's working at Wizard at this time, gets mentioned quite a bit. His first comic book gig is writing an issue of Deadpool, which we have in the archives we've mentioned in the past. But now let's get into one of the most popular titles as far as DC Comics is concerned these days and back then, Batman. And it says here, The Night is Lost in Darkness. So this is Doug Mensch and Kelly Jones era. Says what you need to know. His parents murdered in front of him. Young Bruce Wayne made them a promise to rid Gotham City of crime. As he grew older, he used his inherited fortune and trained his body and mind to physical perfection to become the crime fighter Batman. The good. These stories are highly psychological. The dialogue of Batman and his villains explains the makeup of that character's mind instead of just being witty banter. This results in an interesting and deep feel for the book. 
For instance, when Wayne Batman decides to go into the Wayne Tech offices, it's because he says he's been neglecting his Bruce Wayne persona and needs to practice being him. The way it's phrased does a lot for your understanding of his dual psyche. The villains created in this book have complex makeups as well. Faceless is not just a murderer, he's working on a lack of identity and murders other people while dressed up as them in order to try to prove that he does in fact exist. The Undertaker creates sculptures from bones he robbed from graves to prove there is beauty after death, all serve to add a more macabre feel to Gotham's criminal element. The dark aspects of the stories in Kelly Jones' stylistic dark artwork come together to give the book a great spooky tone. There's lots of excellent creepy silhouetted shots of Batman in a gothic atmosphere. The Bad. The stories are trying to be so dark, gothic, and psychological that major elements of the Batman mythos are sacrificed. How? Follow us. Many of the characters are completely out of character. For Alfred to fear a woman entering Bruce Wayne's life goes against what readers know Alfred wants for him. Bruce Wayne overplays his playboy persona at Wayne Tech so much, he's embarrassingly dopey. Not exactly how a calculated mind like Batman would play the part of Bruce Wayne. And even Commissioner Gordon, normally a hands-on lawman, is reduced to a passive secretary by simply dictating information to Batman. The elements that work to spark intriguing plot lines end up fizzling toward the end. Builds like Boneyard and Faceless are discovered and beaten in cliched, neat and tidy climaxes. You get more dramatic detective work in an episode of Matlock. Not to mention that recent storyline, 544 to 546, where the Joker conjures Etrigan the demon. A wee bit over the top, even for Joker. It ends with a whimper when, obviously, Etrigan doesn't kill Batman or the Joker, as is expected by the plot setup. Plus, when the Spectre shows up in 540 and 541, it seems only to serve as an excuse for a philosophical argument between himself and Batman. The buzz, deemed a failure at the box office, Batman and Robin make cool interest in the Bat titles. Only time will tell. The skinny, dark is such the thrust of Batman that it has sacrificed characterization of the major player's dramatic detective work and action sequences. The verdict? A three. So it's interesting, Deadpool and Batman being ranked identically at this moment in time. Wow. Let's see if our last review here gets any more praise. Thunderbolts! Marvel's heroes scheme the crime of the century. Of course, this is Kurt Busiek and Mark Bagley. Well, you need to know, with the majority of Marvel's heroes killed by Onslaught, a superhero group called the Thunderbolts have pledged to fill the gap. However, they are really Baron Zemo and the Masters of Evil, who are using public and governmental trust to fulfill Zemo's goal. World domination. The good. This is one of the most surprising and original concepts to come out of Marvel in a long time. What was expected to be a second-rate Avengers knockoff title had a completely unexpected twist at the end of issue number one when the Thunderbolts' true identities were revealed. The fact that it worked as a surprise and nobody saw it coming is an achievement all its own. The characters are written believably as villains learning to pose as heroes. In one issue, Mach 1 takes a crook's loot only to face Zemo's scolding as it compromises their identities. And that's just one challenge to Zemo's master plan. Issue after issue, the scheme is put into jeopardy when questions about their origins arise, when other heroes and villains think they recognize one of them, or even when they have to take on a new team member who isn't a villain at all. At each turn, Zemo manipulates everyone past the problem. This book goes a long way to elevate Zemo from a 
16-bit Captain America nemesis to elite villain status. The way he's still using his criminal knowledge as a hero is fun to watch, and you find yourself rooting for him. Bizarrely, you're also rooting for those Thunderbolts under him who are enjoying being heroes more than they ever enjoyed crime. In that case, you're rooting for them to turn against the team. And that's not to mention Meteorite, who in a subplot is manipulating her own power play within the team. It's highly entertaining. Each issue of the book can be someone's first, with constant recaps on who the characters are and what they're doing. It's building up with genuine anticipation for the return of the heroes out of curiosity for what will happen when they come face to face. The bad. So far, each issue follows the same path. Supervillains posing as heroes fighting other supervillains. The subplots, while intriguing, don't add enough variety to the book at the end of each issue. The readers ultimately left wanting the same exact thing. When will the conflict with the heroes happen? The buzz? Thunderbolts is hot, and fans are enjoying the concept. Thunderbolts are even making appearances in other titles at the upcoming Heroes Return event will put a spotlight right on this title. The skinny? The charm is in the concept, and while the book is delivered brilliantly, it so far is surviving off that concept. Thankfully, you can't help but to be on the edge of your seat, waiting to see where the concept will eventually lead this book. The verdict? A five, which is excellent. So there you go. Kurt Busiek, definitely a wizard favorite writer at this time. And uh, yeah, I've, I've checked out a few issues of this series from this era, and it's excellent. I mean, you really do care about all the characters in their own ways for their own reasons. It's not mindless action at all. It's definitely a lot of conversation mixed in with the action that gets you thinking. So, hey, well-deserved, Thunderbolts. And now, let's get on to our next segment. It's time to check out our top 10 heroes and villains of the month. Number one is Witchblade. Yarg! Run for the cellar! Bolt the doors! The concussive force that is Witchblade cannot be stopped. She's more powerful than a tornado, swifter than the Colorado Rapids, and crustier than a four-day-old cheese dip. But seriously, folks, that Sarah Pizzini chick has taken the comic world by storm with a mere year and a half worth of stories to her credit. Witchy Poo has already spawned a spin-off title, a box set collected edition, a CD soundtrack, really? A porcelain statue, a set of trading cards, and about a gazillion sweat-soaked fanboy dreams. She's not the biggest thing going these days, even bigger than, say, Wolverine? That's right, so she's in the number one spot here. And of course, number two is Wolverine. Jeez, Pigum! Wolverine Cat is one hairy urchin. If you can truly get a shave and a haircut for two bits, we'd like to find a barber. Give him a whole buck and then have him shave Wolvie. Give him a haircut. Wax his back and maybe pluck his eyebrows a bit. Yeah, he may look like he should be begging for spare change, but Wolvie's actually one of the most popular characters in all of Herodom. And with that spiffy new pretty damn keen artist on his book in the person of Lionel Francis Yu, we think Wolvie's gonna remain a big kahuta for quite some time, regardless of his grooming habits. Now, number three is Spawn. Now that's what the collected wizard staff needs. Glowing green eyes. If we had them, we could intimidate the hell out of cops and never even get speeding tickets. We could also go around spooking small children, cause them to drop their candy so we could eat free almond joys all the live long 
long day. But Spawn never engages in either of those nifty swell pastimes. He's more concerned with reuniting himself with his family or getting revenge on Jason Wynn, that badass bastard who ordered Spotty Guy's assassination. Jeez, that's no fun. Where's his sense of priorities? Number four is the darkness. We've already established that Witchblade is a concussive force that cannot be stopped. Well, the darkness is right on her heels. With less than a year of stories to his credit, that Jackie Estacado guy is building quite a rep for himself on the other end of the Top Cow pasture. Heck, he's even gonna find himself crossing over with Witchblade in October, November, Family Ties. You know, I never realized that the Family Ties is the name of the sitcom from the 80s. That kind of cracks me up. Are they gonna make a joke about that at some point? If they don't, they've really dropped the ball. Hmm, what would happen if they squared off against each other? Witchy's got that gauntlet thingy, but Jackie's got about 53 of those little Darkling guys that'll eat whatever he tells them to. Our money's on the darkness. And then in the number five spot is Spider-Man. I love how much this list has mixed up uh, in one month. Spider-Sense tingling moving down the list. Yeah, Spidey may have dropped a notch or two on this here chart, but it has more to do with the rampant enthusiasm for Top Cow's terrible twosome than it has to do with any fault of Spidey's. After all, Spider-Man is still the fast talkingest, web-slingingest, guest starinest, bad guy punchinest hero that the comic world has ever seen, and fans still love him long time. <laughs> I'm not gonna do the voice. I'm not gonna do the voice. Number six, Batman, on the other hand, ain't exactly a fast-talking guy. He doesn't flap his lips much. He likes to let his fists do the talking for him, or his battering, or his bat-big stick that he's gonna use to mess some bad guy up. You see, Batman's the kind of guy who likes to get right down to business and whoop some villainous butt. If he'd only go after that Joel Schumacher guy and whoop ass, we'd all be feeling good. Oh, they're so mad at Schumacher. Number seven, Preacher. Here's a guy with bloodshot eyes, an evil glare, and a scruffy-looking five o'clock shadow. Is he Jesse Custer Preacher? Or is he just a random wizard staffer in the death grip of a post-Chicago Comic-Con hangover? The answer, he's Preacher. But if we had the word, Jesse's power to make anyone do what he says, we'd have run that con a bit differently. We'd have made everyone bathe for starters. Then we would have had the biggest blindfolded pantsless volleyball game you'd ever seen. I gotta say about this though, so they have Chicago Comic-Con here. When I've been posting about that on social media in the wake of, uh, you know, issue 74, of that episode coming out, I was writing it as Comic-Con, like C-O-M-I-C, then capital C-O-N, but they are spelling it here C-O-M-I-C-O-N, but apparently that's how you spell the Chicago Comic-Con. Now I gotta look up how you spell the San Diego Comic-Con. All right, number eight is Deadpool. It would have been handy to have had Deadpool around in Chicago, too. He's always quick with a smart-ass one-liner, which is a prerequisite if you want to work for a wizard. He's also good with a gun, so he could have been forced to take off that damn Klingon ahead and go get a life policy that we had. Hmm, maybe we should offer him a job. <laughs> Get a lot of insight into the wizard lifestyle on this list. Number nine is Gambit. Making a triumphant return to our wild and woolly list is that ever-enigmatic Cajun card Thor Gambit. Old Remy LeBeau just starred in the massive What If number 100 and is gearing up for some big-time action in Uncanny X-Men number 350's The Trial of Gambit. He's So he's definitely in the hearts and minds of fans everywhere. And hot damn it, everyone's still talking about his on-again, off-again relationship with Rogue. Seems he's the hero everyone loves to gossip about these days. 
days. Bringing up the rear, number 10 is Captain America. Looking a bit surprised to be within the friendly confines of this top 10 is everyone's favorite Sentinel of Liberty, Captain America. Cap's been a big spotlight guy, starring in two of the high-profile Heroes Reborn books, and now that the announcement's been made, fans are slobbered over the prospect of the old Mark Wade, Ron Garney creative team returning on Captain America. Heck, Cap himself is so happy that wild man's celebrating with a big old milkshake. Oh, so wholesome, that Captain America. And now it's time for our Mort of the Month. All right, this month's Mort is Oddball. Never heard of this guy. Woo-wee! The circus must be in town. No, it's not. We're afraid there'll be no little people for you. Had to clean that up there. Instead, you get Oddball, an aptly named juggler turned criminal. See, we told you comics wouldn't rot your mind. It's that damn juggling that leads you down the road to prison. Anywho, Oddball has the amazing ability to juggle, and that's about it. He's so freaking lame. He actually joined a team of, we swear we're not making this up, juggler criminals known as the Death Throws. Oddball's also got a name, Elton Healy, that must have gotten a beat up on the playground throughout his youth. And of course, there's that wonderful fashion sense that which he's sporting here. What a mort. <laughs> oh, a juggling ability. That's pretty fun. Because yeah, his costume is his gloves and his hood, cowl, whatever you want to call it, are purple. But then his costume is split orange and green. And it's, it alternates like the top half, it's split one way. And then the bottom half, it's split the other way. Plus he's got all these circles going around, you know, the ring of his cowl on his chest and then around the side of his pants and has a belt. I assume the belt is actually holding juggling balls though? I don't know how they stay on there. They look like colored eyeballs. It's really strange. Oddball. I, again, I wish they would tell you who they were fighting. Like where these villains appeared because it makes you want to go read their adventures and find out just how lame they truly were. But you know what's not lame? The fact that you checked out this episode. I want to thank you so much for being a part of our Wizards half experience. I hope you are enjoying everything that we're doing on the podcast. There's no sign of slowing down here. I will tell you, just as a tease, we are planning our second superhero draft. That's right. If you remember last year, we had a great time doing that. So we're getting our list together right now. It's going to involve image characters, valiant characters, even defiant characters, Ultraverse, anybody you can think of that was not the main Marvel and DC roster back in the day. So we're going to be doing an extremely 90s superhero draft this time around. So stay tuned for details about that. Hoping to get it together and out to you in June. So we'll be giving you details about how you can sign up for that event. Also, just to give you a heads up about who is coming on for episode 75, our special guest is none other than Robert Brockway from the 1900 Hot Dog Comedy website and the Dog Zone 9000 podcast. He is partners with Sean Baby. Sean Baby, who you might remember from Game Pro Magazine and he, he actually even wrote for Wizard at one point. Both Michael and Sean Baby didn't make it to the episode. They were scheduled to be there. 
there and their kids had a bad night and so it was me and robert but we still had a blast oh man the perspectives you're gonna get from this guy are so much fun so stay tuned for episode 75 also we're planning to do the heroes return wizard special after that so another thing to keep in mind on your schedule heroes return i better read those books so i'm caught up but hey you can also stay caught up with us on social media at wizards comics on twitter at wizards underscore comics on instagram keep retweeting keep sharing thank you so much guys for reaching out to your friends and recommending the podcast we just see it so often and it really is bringing more people's ears to the show and so it's wonderful to see that you enjoy it so much you want to share it of course you can also find us on youtube yes that's right go to youtube the wizards the podcast guide to comics channel right now we're still doing a lot of haul videos but i know michael is excited about doing a top 10 batman covers for wizard magazine so we're prepping that as well of course you can get even more excitement from patreon patreon.com forward slash wizards comics five bucks a month what are you getting you know the drill you get a full scan of the issues right you're also getting the episodes uncut right now that we talked about episode 75 with robert brockway joining us that is all up and uncut you could get that no one else is going to hear it except our patrons until we get the fully edited version out and you might be missing out on jokes and extra conversation and there is extra conversation i'll give you that uh so also get connected on facebook the facebook group is growing we're not as active on there as we want to be we're throwing out questions here and there every once in a while so just wanted to make sure that you were aware of that there's so much more to come in the wizards the podcast guide to comics universe so stay tuned and hey until next time keep your books bagged and boarded kabuki This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.